Hey guys, what do you call it when you lose Nick Cross and Charles Cross in the same recruiting class? I'm not playing your childish games. I don't know, Brendan. What do you call it? <laughs> Getting double crossed. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, let's talk about the uh, the very end of FSU's 2019 recruiting class, guys. This is the Knowles 24/7 podcast. Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, we're all joining you to. To put the, the finishing touches on the 2019 cycle now that we have clarity and, and some finalization to it, and that is in the form of Nick Cross announcing, or I guess Maryland announcing that Nick Cross, the four-star safety, was signing with the Terps on Wednesday, or on Tuesday, we're recording this on Wednesday. So let's get into it. That was the last remaining piece to fall. Chris, I'll start with you. This was something that I guess was kind of trending in that direction for the last few days or so, at least. Not surprising news, but still not the news Florida State wanted. Yeah, Maryland was a compromise. I mean, look how excited Nick was. He was so excited he didn't talk about it. He didn't put anything out about it. Kid was really excited about the place he got to sign. The truth of the matter is dad wouldn't let him sign with FSU. He wanted to go to Penn State, and Nick had no interest in really going to Penn State, as I understand it. Nick would have preferred to go to FSU or Georgia, and dad wasn't having that. So Maryland's a compromise. His former high school head coach is now on that staff on the field. That's an on-mat comfort level. Mike Loxley, who recruited him at Alabama, is now the head coach there. Another area of comfort. And it's a place right near home, which makes his mom happy. That's something his mom voiced when FSU was in the house the Monday before the dead period started. So about 10 days before signing day. Um, Mom made a comment about wanting to be a little closer to home and all that. So Maryland definitely fills that box in. So it was completely a compromise. The kid had to do what his parents forced him to do. History tells us that in most of those cases, those things don't work out longer term, which is disappointing because it's not Nick's fault. Nick comes off as a fairly even-killed, smart, nice dude who loves playing football and enjoys running track and should excel for all reasons. He, you know, He's not a guy that is red flag heavy. The only red flag is that you know, he has overbearing parents who think they control his life. It almost got to the point where I feel like even if he went to Florida State, it was going to have that same effect. Yeah. There was so much pressure that was put on on him that it was going to be an, almost a negative. The potential for a negative outcome was, it was escalated no here, matter what. Here's the issue. When you make a decision that isn't your decision, the minute something goes wrong with that decision, you're bickering about being put in that decision. So yeah. the minute something goes bad at Maryland, Nick's going to be bickering at his father more than likely about, well, you made me do this. Mm-hmm. And if he had gone to FSU to minute something would have gone wrong, his father would have been like, well, I told you never to do this. So it's a lose-lose situation for a kid. It's a complicated deal. Like we said, um, this isn't a football decision. Nick's father um, is, is, a, is a doctor, probably makes more money each year than all three of us combined. And they're from the islands. There's not a football, there's not a football family. Nick's father didn't even start going to Nick's high school games until really his senior year just because he didn't he didn't think that football was an important thing for, for Nick and the family. Um, so it was a, a bit of a different recruitment. I think the signs were there that over the summer that, that FSC needed to push the academic um, side of things a little bit more. I'm told while they while they got the message across about DB development, um, what you can do in the pros coming out of FSU and all this sort of thing, I don't think the presentation of academics was, was, was the same. Um, having Myron roll call three days before signing day was great. They had an awesome conversation. Um, Nick put the phone on speaker once Myron called so the family could hear. 
everybody loved it. My question is, in hindsight, why didn't we get Myron involved in, in August or September when, when Nick was uh, dragging this thing out the first time and really get the family on board? It seems like Myron was more than willing to call Nick Cross when asked, but he wasn't asked until the Sunday before signing it. I, well, I'll go ahead there. I, I think that's a fair uh, question to ask, Josh, is, is if you knew academics were important, which we knew in the summer when uh, there was some hesitation where we thought Nick Cross was committed, but it wasn't getting public, and it went on for about almost a month, that the, the intel we were getting was that the family, and specifically the dad, had skepticism about Florida State, and specifically the, uh, the academic side of Florida State. And, and so you have that knowledge, that working knowledge, as a program for that period of time. And then from the time he commits in, what was it? Late August or September, the season opener. September. Yeah. All the way until February, knowing that that's the message that you have to sell, that that's what you needed to get on board with dad. Uh, and it's not your fault that the dad didn't buy into what you were selling or that he was stubborn. Uh, that That's, that's a crappy hand that Florida state had to, to deal with. Uh, but you also had a long period of time to convince dad to get on board. And the fact that you weren't able to, uh, it, it's unfortunate and it results in you losing what would have been, you know, the, arguably the best player or second best player in your class, at least in the ranking system. I don't think they could have ever convinced his father. Maybe not. Maybe not. But then in that case, then... Maybe not. That is a good point. That might have been a endless war that they were raging, but, you know, at least you would have maybe had a backup plan at safety. And I, I know they do get Brendan Gant, but there was a reason that they wanted to. Well, the defensive back the, the only place where I fault FSU in this whole thing, I don't. This is not a situation where I fault FSU. It's not, you know, comparable to Sam Howell for me, for example. The only place where I fault him is they should have tried to get the kid to sign in December to put an end to all this, right. or force the subject to come to a head. Mm-hmm. Either either that know is. you're getting them or know you're not getting them. Allowing it to play out for another month, allowing them to take those two final visits. It, it was a waste of their time, and in the end, it didn't produce any positive results. Well, and, and you wrote about this before, talking about the significance, a week before signing day or a few days before signing day, Chris, you wrote about the significance of of getting Nick Cross in the class, and I think some readers were skeptical because... I called him a necessity, and people say he's not a necessity, that they have plenty of DBs, and that's a fun narrative that's going on. FSU does have plenty of DBs, but I don't know how many people watched last season. They kind of sucked in the secondary. And the back Nick end Cross, of the secondary especially. Nick Cross is not a guy that other people can emulate. He's yeah. a unique type of player. And FSU considered him a necessity. I was asked to write that piece. That wasn't me waking up in the morning going, I should write this piece. You know what I feel like doing today? Writing a column about Nick Cross and how he's a necessity. That wasn't me. FSU did view him as a necessity. Um, but, and I think the thing that hurts, because you can say, okay, you know, we, we do have a really good defensive back class coming in, and Florida State does. That's, that's factual. They have still one of the best, if not the best, group of DBs coming in the country. We all really like Akeem Dent. We all love Travis Jay. Like, they're, Brendan Gantley, I think we all like and think he could do more. Like, there's, there's guys to like and to be excited about. I love Malcolm Green. I think he's a badass. At the same time, the optics of this, and, and that matters as we're seeing in the recruiting cycle, like Florida State finishes with its worst-ranked recruiting class in more than a decade, optics and perception do matter. Um, but you always want to accumulate talent. That's you do. the name of the game. Well, it, I'm not, it doesn't. You can have 15 great quarterbacks. You know what you want? A 16th great quarterback. It's just natural order. Things happen in college football. Injuries, academics, stupidity. 
And suddenly you go from having a lot to having a little. So having more than you need is not a bad thing. Acting like Nick Cross was not important to this class is stupid. That's telling the staff that they were stupid for recruiting Nick Cross. Were they stupid for recruiting Nick Cross? No. He's one of the 50 best players in the country. You would take every damn player in the top 50 regardless of position because they're going to help you win games. Yeah. Folks saying that he wasn't Don't Don't fall for stupid narratives. Use some, some common freaking sense. Yeah. Nick Cross is a hell of a lot better player than Renardo Green. We Malcolm got, Green. M- Malcolm Renardo. Malcolm Green. Renardo Since Malcolm. we're calling him Malcolm here Ford. He's a hell of a lot better player. And that's not a slide on Malcolm Green. I like Malcolm Green a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. But Nick Cross is a large human being who has freakish athletic ability, is intelligent, and plays a game at a high level. So acting yeah. like, oh, it doesn't matter. We lost him. We're fine. We've got plenty. Number 18 is not a bad class. No. Come on. Like, don't go with stupid narratives. You can say that the class is still good and these other things, and that can all be well and good and true. But losing Nick Cross is a bad thing because you wanted Nick Cross. I want to talk about more. I want to talk about narratives because there's more narratives than I want to. And most of them are stupid as hell. Most narratives are stupid as hell because a narrative in in definition is something that's being concocted. It's not true. We lost Lance. It's fine. He might go Juco. (laughs) Well, okay, that's cool. But you still didn't sign a single quarterback. So while he might be a person who has to go Juco because academically he can't cut it, you still didn't sign a quarterback. So the narrative is still stupid. Yeah. And before before he signed with Maryland, there was a ton of optimism coming from our sources within the Moore Center that thought he would be qualified. Yeah. They knew him having academic issues is not some new creation of this process. He's always had academic issues. That's the reason he was around come January or February. Because quarterbacks aren't around late unless there's some outstanding circumstance. John Rice Plumley, Georgia wanted a blue shirt. That's why he was around. Lance, the reason he was around, he had academic issues. There are reasons for why guys like that are there and don't sign in December. Florida State. So I think I think that what we're seeing amongst our readership and just seen on Twitter, and I guess that's not the best place to necessarily always go for, for getting the, a complete judge of the fan base, but it's this line in the sand of some saying FSU completely whiffed and bombed on this class, and some saying FSU is going to be fine. Both, be, both can be true. FSU can still have a path to being fine, but I think you make it markedly harder on yourself by not securing some big needs. It, look at it this way. Going into National Signing Day, FSU's two biggest objectives, arguably get a quarterback and – Lock down Nick Cross. They lose both of those top and options. And fix the offensive line. They both lose both of those. Yes, and fix the offensive line. They lose, but they lose both of those guys to Maryland. Like that's not ideal. If you sat down <laughs> and had a great steak with Willie Taggart and asked him if he would have wanted to sign Nick Cross and a quarterback, his answer is going to be plain and simple: a yes. yes. So, so let's take a look at what Florida State's class is right now. When we're going to still talk about Nick Cross a little bit, but I want to look at what Florida State now the dust has settled. The 2019 cycle is done. They finished with, what, the number 18 recruiting class in the country? Uh, As far as I know, and I'll get into some more numbers in a little bit here, guys, if you're into that sort of thing. If not, just, you know, space out like Josh is probably doing for a minute. (laughs) But but that's the worst class, I think, since the Rivals era when they started ranking classes back in 2007. And and 24-7 sports composite rankings takes in other other, uh, recruiting services into account. But I don't know when ours started, but it wasn't until 2000. 10 or so. Um, so it's the lowest ranked class in more than a decade. Like, I don't know how to sugarcoat that. It, it's not ideal. The blue chip ratio, which is basically the amount of players that you sign that are four stars or better, 
uh, which you can go, yeah, SB Nation has done a good job documenting that in the past. It's something that is more or less a necessity. You need to have more blue chip players than not to have a chance to compete for a national title. I think there's other factors that go into that as well. Uh, this is the first year that FSU doesn't have a blue chip ratio above 50% since 2010 that was Jimbo Fisher's first recruiting class well here let's compare this class to 07 the 07 class for FSU finished number 20 mm-hmm. its average rating was 88.40 mm-hmm. this class's average rating is 89 at 4 I believe it's right around 89 something I know that for a fact I'm looking at the 07 class here here we go Deontay Allen Brandon Paul Kendall Smith contributor Antoine Greenlee Brian Coulter Zach Hillary Burt Reed contributor Jamar Jackson Contributed some. Bernard Brinson, Will Furlong, Maurice Harris, Anthony Grosso, Grosso, he was so good I don't even remember how to pronounce his last name. Jatavius Jackson, Aaron Gresham, Jonathan Hanna, ooh, that's, there's some memories with that name. AJ Ganguza, Sean Powell, huge contributor. Taiwan Easterling, decent contributor. Rodney Hudson, best player in the whole damn class. Excellent NFL player. And Cam Wade, jump up on a backboard and grab a football for. Uh, Jeff Bowden. So there we go. That's that class. That is 20 signees in that class. Similar numbers to FSU. That class sucked. I mean, it was horrible. The contribution of that class is pathetic. I'm not saying this year's class is on that level. I think this year's class has more value to it by far. Akeem Dent, Travis J. start that conversation for me. My point more so is when you sign a class that is lukewarm, mediocre, it tends to pan out as that or worse. So I don't think FSU signed a lukewarm class. I think 18 is on the fringe of mediocre. There's some good, but there's plenty in that class that may not do a whole lot. And that's true of any class. You're going to have pieces of your classes that fail. The goal is to accumulate as much talent as possible, and FSU fell short with that goal in this class. And and Josh, I'll I'll kick it to you because you've talked about this taking – a big picture look to Florida State and asking a simple question when we've talked on the phone and you may have talked about it on a podcast too, but basically did Florida State's roster get better? Um, there's certainly guys that they add, but that, that'll help. But when you look at the ranking of the class, uh, I think there's a fair reason to be somewhat skeptical, right? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm concerned. Uh, the Nick Cross, the latest adventures with Nick Cross was just the completion the slow completion of the decapitation at the top of this class. I mean, oh my God. we saw we saw Charles Cross fall off. We saw Sam Howell fall off. They were double cross. Then we see, we see Nick Cross. Um, yeah, they held on to Akeem Dent and Travis J. Truly, you know, two game-changing impact-type players. But this is Florida State. Uh, Florida State doesn't generally just sign two two instant impact guys. Um, and, and then the guys you I, also were close on that would have been impact guys that you invested a ton of time in, like Will Putnam, Tyler Davis, Kayvon Thibodeau. Those, those are other names that I think are fair to bring in. As you didn't have, Dean. you didn't let's, have. Let's but not forget Nakobe Dean. Months of wasted time for a kid that George Pickens. For when the season um, so so yeah. So sorry, Josh. Continue. But there's a lot of guys you can mention too that were like not committed, but you invested a ton of time in, and, and at some point, another staff felt really good on. Right. And what concerned me most about this class was um, something that we started talking about a year ago, probably about a year ago today. Um, I brought a quote to the board that everybody got fired up over. It made a lot of sense. If you remember the quote, it went like this. If we win Florida, we win. Um, Here's something from an article I wrote on that quote. I'm told that that if a full class of 25 is possible, then the goal is to sign 18 to 20 from Florida. Furthermore, of the top 25 players in the state, 
FSU wants to sign 15 of those 25. FSU ended up with five of those 25. And they let others go at major positions of need. We saw Ryan Davis sign with Georgia without an offer from Florida State. He's a linebacker out of Orlando. Um, They did not recruit Ryan Davis out of Orlando, yet spent a ton of time on Derek Hall, N'Kobe Dean out of Mississippi. Um, Guys really from all over. Yet, I just want to know where it got lost. If we win Florida, we win. Why did they go so national when they arrived here with a plan to stay in the state and they, they, they even realized, like, hey, you know, Jimbo kind of lost it when he went national and things got away from him. And it was almost like a microcosm of, of Jimbo within, like, a six-month period. It was like they started out with the greatest intentions. The plan was laid. I thought it was going to be successful. Everybody thought FSU needed to get back to Florida. Yeah, if we win Florida, we win. That makes a whole lot of sense. But then it was like the, the priority wasn't there. Not, you know, not going on Avery Huff until the very end and thinking that you're going to have a shot there, you know, that time that you spent recruiting uh, Derek Hall maybe could have been spent much more wisely recruiting Avery Huff at St. Thomas Aquinas, right there in your own backyard. You've landed plenty of kids out of that school. Um, I think just allowing, not only did they not win Florida um, in, in the big three, they, they probably finished fourth or fifth within their own state because Alabama came in and cleaned up. Clemson came right in behind them and cleaned up. Georgia came in. And then Florida probably jumped Florida State at the very end by landing Chris Bogle and Kyrie at the end. Um, I think they signed Florida and Florida State. I think they signed about the same amount of kids in the top 25. I think they both signed four or five. But star power and and rankings-wise, UF landed more top players in the top 25 or lower in the top 25 than Florida State did. So I just want to know, you know, where did where did that plan go wrong and why they deviated? I think if they stuck to that plan, we're probably looking at a different a different class right now. Yeah, FSU signed 13 from Florida. Four of them were top 25 guys. That's Akeem Den and Dante Lucas, Lucas, both of whom enrolled early, and Brendan Gant and Travis Jay. Now, right outside of that number is Quayshon Fuller. He's number 28 in the state. Well, yeah. Chris, the reason I, I give him five in the top 25, you're right. Uh, Quayshon Fuller is 28. There's three kids ahead of Quayshon Fuller from IMG that are out-of-state kids. Yeah. So if you take those three out, if you if you, if you you uh, you know kind of change the numbers and gear it towards FSU, you can give them, you can give them five in the top 25. But that's still, you know, if you put them in the class calculator – that still puts them at fourth or fifth in the state of Florida. Yeah. They did not win the state of Florida, which was their overall goal heading into the cycle. And in Georgia, the neighboring state, they signed one top 25 kid in Kalen Deloach. And they total 19 of their 21 signees come from Florida and Georgia. And Curtis Fan was a four-star and hit, yeah, hit, he's but, but on the fringe. State. Um, but yeah, their goals were, they called it the state of Florida and the state of Georgia. I mean, those were the two, you know, in the state of Georgia, they considered South Georgia and then, uh, you know, Metro Atlanta area. So those were two things that they wanted to do. And I remember the coaching, like, talking to someone within the program before the season who was absolutely appalled that the idea of that kids were flying over Florida and Florida State and leaving the state to go to Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. Um, and, and that didn't really change this cycle. And, and to they, Josh's they point... Leaving, it, they were leaving the 
state as and well. Yeah, that's, yeah, to your point, you that's know, correct. They were flying cross-country to go see Jeremiah Cradell and Sean Dollars and Kayvon Thibodeau. You fly out to uh, California, and, and you know, Cradell and uh, Dollars were pretty much off the board by, by the spring or summer. But you fly out to California during December and January to go see Kayvon Thibodeau, one recruit. You're going to spend 24 hours to go see one recruit, whereas you could probably be, see eight to ten between 2019 and 2020 kids within the state of Florida in a day, you know, top kids. So that was a huge risk and a huge dump of time and resources um, getting away from their plan of, of winning Florida. I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. We spoke about it on the last pod when we were wrapping up signing day pre-Nick Cross. They recruited as though they were going to be good, and they ended up not being good. Yeah. And that's part of this conversation as well. Yep, that's what I was going to say is, is where that gets lost at some point. Uh, probably somewhere in the in the first half against Virginia Tech, things changed. But I don't think they realized things changed until uh, probably the bye week uh, after the Miami game where they had to recalibrate. I think it took them maybe a month into the season to realize they had to start going after different guys. And then we saw what seemed to me from the outside looking in somewhat of panic with the way they were offering kids and trying to get on get in on kids late and extending a ton of offers to guys who were about to sign early signing period and just didn't have the built-in relationship for what they viewed as the next tier of talent. Um, so yeah, if you go ahead and you nail all of those kids, you, if you nail every single or even half of the big-time blue-chip guys like Cardell Thomas uh, was another name from Louisiana that they spent time on, if you go ahead and get half those guys, then that's great. Um, but it's a calculated risk, and I think they knew it was um, – and sometimes you take a take a gamble; it doesn't pay off. You have to know when to, you know, you, you have to know when to cut bait. And I think in hindsight, it's certainly easy to judge and say that that something that the staff didn't do very well this recruiting cycle. One thing I wrote yesterday when we wrapped up that they had the number eighteen classes. It's the second highest ranked class for a team with a losing record. Tennessee finished twelfth; they had the best. Right behind them is 19th and 20th, Nebraska, and USC also had losing records. So four of the top 20 had losing records. FSU was second of those four. So that says a little bit of they're still capable recruiters. Mm -hmm. The issue is that FSU is not accustomed to recruiting at the 18th level, but at the same time, FSU is not accustomed to going five and seven. Well, just, and that's that's true. So I went and I looked at the top 25 class recruiting classes for each of the five classes, past five classes and looked at what teams' win totals were in that span. Uh, in 2019, there were seven teams with six wins or less that finished in the top 25. FSU was the second highest, as you said, Chris. The cycle before in 2018, there were five teams that finished in the top 25 that had six wins or less. Year before that, seven uh, that had six wins or less. Year before that, four. And then year before that, one. I think twice teams finished in the top 10. So it shows that yeah, it, the majority of teams that finish with the losing record are not going to finish with top 25 classes. With that being said, this wasn't an anomaly. Like, like it says something that Florida State was able to have a fairly good and above average class for a team with a losing record, um, but it's not the standard that's known at Florida State for recruiting. Um, and it wasn't anything elite or sort of certainly out of the realm of ordinary that they finished with a top 25 class with the losing record. Yeah, that's, it, not, that's not once in a blue moon. It happens every single year. So people spinning the narrative that, oh, they did a great job with the class despite the negativity or despite down seasons. Like, yeah, good job finishing. But it wasn't – teams do it all the time. Texas does it every single year. They finish with a top 10 class regardless of what their record is. Uh, it, yeah, I, I just – that was a narrative that, that started circulating around the time of the early signing period, and it's something that 
that bothered me, so I decided to look at the numbers, and yeah, it's it, it's good, but it's not good enough in my opinion. That number eleven class last year, well documented that they had basically six weeks to assemble that entire class after it fell apart. And that was awesome. They did a great job with that. And they're currently sitting at number eight for next year, and they've laid some good work for 2020. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's an outlier. And if it is, they'll be perfectly fine. But they can't continue to do it. Correct. Uh, Now let's last look at 2019, then we'll turn the page to 2020. I did an article uh, in late January, basically the 10 objectives for FSU between now and National Signing Day. It's something I talked to you guys about before publishing, make sure we're all on the same page and and some that we thought it was, you know, that was these were accurate and realistic uh, objectives that would help the program out. All right, so here we go. Let me know whether they hit them or not. Number one, hold on to Nick Cross. Nope. No. Okay. Two, secure two quarterback commits. <laughs> no, over two. <laughs> All right. Three, sign three offensive linemen. Yes. Uh, if you count the the grad transfer at that point, um, they've addressed the offensive yes. line need, and they're still working that on the transfer portal. Yeah. Four was get Darius Washington on campus. Yep. That that fell, went into success. the previous. Yep. Success. Uh, five, lockdown, Fuller, uh, Quayshon Fuller, and Brandon Gant on official visits. Yep. Uh, I mean, they didn't lock down Fuller on that official visit, but they get him, so I'll give it to him. Fuller wanted to play his games. He couldn't go to Alabama at the end of the day if he wanted to. But if he wanted to go to – if Alabama wanted him, would that have counted as – Semantics. Move We're on. We'll give, it to him. we'll give it to him. We'll give it to him. Quayshon Fuller finish his troll. Let him drag yeah. this program through his entire recruitment until the very end, guys. Alright, alright. Just let him have his day. Is anyone keeping score of these? No, I, I can't count. <laughs> alright. Go back and One count. One for four right now? I think two we're two for four right now. Alright. Number six? No, we have five, so that can't be right. <laughs> three. For, we're three for five right now because the office lineman Darius Washington and locked down. Alright, alright. Number six, add at least one more linebacker. Nope. Nope. Number seven, improve depth at skill positions. No. That included Darren Barlow, Jamiris Griffin, Alante Brown. No. No. Find a kicker. They got that. Yep. All right. That was good. Bonus, you know, if you can, find a capable edge rusher, like a speedy edge guy, um, or anyone else who could just get to the quarterback. I think at that point we were looking at maybe Charles Moore. Going to say that's a miss, right? Mm-hmm. And number 10, laid the groundwork for the 2020 class, which... Uh, they did, they, but not to the level that other schools who had put much more to bed in the early signing period were able to do. Let's give it to them they, because I don't want to be construed as a negative yeah, podcast. I would, I would say it's a win, but... With I room think, for I think guys, this, hold on, hold on. I, I, I do think this is an issue for 2020, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I spoke to coaches from all over the country throughout the month of January very, very few teams were still recruiting 2019. I spoke to coaches everywhere from UCF to Tennessee to, you know, all over the country. And UCF's almost everybody powerhouse. was solely focused, UF especially, was solely focused on 2020 recruiting. When you are making visits to Nick Cross, to Quayshon Fuller, to, you know, sending a, a, a defensive staff to go see Quayshon Fuller, who's been committed for two years... <laughs> You don't have unlimited amounts of time. Josh landed on the moon. <laughs> we we got we got a Chris uh, Chris esque uh, Havana connection going on. Josh, hang on. Uh, Josh was making actually a really great point. I shouldn't say actually like I was surprised, but it was one of the best points he's made. Say yeah, something. So, oh, there we go. I think we got you. All right. Sorry, my internet must have kicked out. But um, time time is limited. It's a limited resource within recruiting. And when you are going to visit Nick Cross, who's been committed 
and didn't sign in the early signing period. When you go and send your entire defensive staff to go see Quayshon Fuller every week when he's been committed for two years, that time cannot be replaced. There are other teams that are solely focused on 2020 recruiting right now and are in the schools of, of major programs. Um, here in Pinellas County, when, when, when we do our, like, where are the coaches on the road type thing, I reached out to a couple schools because Willie came through and, and he hit um, – Largo High School, Lakewood High School, and one other because, you know, he, he, he had it. He was limited on time because he had to recruit 2019 kids. Um, I reached out to a couple coaches to see if they came through, and the replies were, nope, haven't seen FSU in January. Nope, haven't seen them, haven't heard from them. And, yeah, they stopped by the, a few schools, but you got to remember the other programs are blanketing their counties. They're going through and just hitting every single school like they're spring recruiting. But they're, they're spring recruiting in January because they've set themselves up because almost everybody signed their class in the early period. That is one of the consequences FSU faced. You know, a lot of people wanted to downplay it. Oh, well, you know, these kids are solid. They'll sign. We, we lose Nick Cross, but we also lost the leg up on 2020. Say what you want. FSU is behind a lot of programs right now in 2020. Yeah, and I was told by a staff source that a large amount of their 2020 effort in January was to go see guys who had come to see them, which makes sense. You know, it's return on investment, and right now FSU's not the most appealing program, so deal with the kids that you know are truly dealing with you. I like that idea. But to Josh's point, they weren't able to just simply kind of get a face in the school and try to stoke the flame and see if they could create some new relationships as much as they would have been able to if they were sitting at 21-22 signees at the end of December instead of, what, 15, 16 signings, of course, right there in that ballpark and trying to close it on 9 to 12 guys while also dealing with transfer portal guys. And opening up a ton of new recruitments in that final, or at least a few in the final. The investment of work in January for FSU was more on par with a new staff at a new school than it should be for a school that has had a staff for 12, 14 months. Mm -hmm. And I think members of the staff would tell you that they would have preferred to have it as a pre-pre-eval period. You know, to set up what they go do when uh, spring football's over at FSU and they were real wild there. All right, so that ten, yeah. of the ten objectives, we're we going to say four and a half to five. Uh, five and a half, I think. Right, five. five. All right, we'll call it an even five. Yeah. Um, and some of those were necessities. Some of those were luxuries. Um, but, but the, the not, big necessities that you missed on that we had at the top of the list are are pretty damning in my mind. Yeah, it's tough. Not signing offensive skill is all well and good because you had an offensive heavy class last year. But as we saw with offensive line recruiting a few years ago, when you sign a heavy class and then you sign a light class, if the heavy class doesn't pan out, you've gone two straight years with classes that don't help you, and that puts you in a predicament. Yeah, and a little easier to get past that with the skill players because yeah. it's more plug and play. But still, your, your point remains. I think it's It's, it's valid. better to be recruiting consistently year in, year out to kind of an even kill position by position mm-hmm. with maybe a position where you need to over-recruit in a given year. But not consistently. And FSU's had to they're they've been playing catch up with the offensive line for two, three years because of something they did four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. No, let's get to the twenty twenty class really quickly, just kind of set the tone for it. Right now it's ranked eighth nationally. Uh and it honestly looks really nice, especially on defense. They're loading up on defense again right now as it stands. Uh, most of their guys committed, all but one are defensive players. Demori Tate. Uh, cornerback safety type from Orlando Freedom High School. Uh, Judarius McKnight, who they love from, from Dunbar. He's listed as an athlete, more of a safety linebacker type. Uh, probably could be a guy who goes in and, and plays star and contributes early on. 
uh, Kayshawn Green, local hard-hitting safe or safety linebacker from uh, from Wakola. Look at you trying to turn everybody into a safety. I'm <laughs> and, and guards, uh, Isaiah Dunson, big cornerback that they like from uh, from Tucker, and that's a school that's been been good to uh, to members of this coaching staff. Stephen Dix Jr., second best linebacker to ever come out of Doctor Phillips High School, present company included. Uh, Jeff Sims, the quarterback, and he's a three-star recruit right now, but we're expecting him to. To go up in the rankings, he just accepted an invitation to the Under Armour uh, All-America game. So right now it's a good foundation for the class. Uh, I think we're going to see a big emphasis on uh, skill guys this class because we didn't see see a ton in the past one. But but it's a good foundation on defense, especially at, at levels that, that you still need help at and still want to add depth at. Yeah, you got a quarterback early, and he's a kid that is very committed to you, and he's an excellent recruiter. He's recruited more in the last two weeks than Sam Howell did most of last year, Yep, um, which is a good sign. It means a kid is truly committed to you. Um, you know, they, they put in work at running back. They need to sign probably two backs in this class, one of an elite level and another one who helps them. Lawrence Tolafilli is a kid that they're in good with. That's Josh's boy. They love Jalen Knight and um, Kendall Milton's a kid out in Cali that they've invested a lot of time in pinpoint to see him right before the dead period began. Wide receiver, you know, we'll figure those out. There's always a ton in Florida. It's a matter of finding the right one or two and latching on and truly latching on before the spring eval period gets mm-hmm. going. That's what schools like Clemson do. They identify a receiver usually early, and they either close it real quick or they have the endurance to recruit them throughout and win in the end. You can't – with those elite types, you need to be one of two, three main names in that kid's head early on mm-hmm. in the process. Tight end, not worried about. It. They'll find somebody. It's not a huge piece of FSU's offense at this point. Offensive tackle recruiting, they got a couple locals they should go after, and they are after Zane Hearing at Madison. I'd say they're in a very good spot with him. Josh Braun at Suwanee, they're in a pretty good spot with Josh. Did you see that he plays tennis? Yeah, I think his dad there. coaches tennis. His dad's the AD at school. I think he coaches tennis, too. It was like this massive yeah. 6'5", 300-pound kid. Josh is brother Parker, players. who yeah. FSU's also involved with in the transfer portal. And then on the defensive side of ball, they're doing excellent in the secondary and solid at linebacker. McCluster's an odd linebacker they're in a good spot with. They need to find a couple D linemen. McKinley Jackson's probably the best interior guy they want. They've had him on campus three, four, five times already. He's a mountain of a man. And then defensive end, they need to find the elite guy at defensive end that they love. I think Will Anderson's a really good DN, and they're in a good spot with him. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a guy the next tear up that they need to find that they can go after at that position. But they've done a fairly good job of laying the groundwork. I think they've been very realistic about finding guys that they can get on campus. You know, a guy like Antoine Sampa, Sampa is a guy I didn't mention. He's a linebacker. It's Evan Clemson. They're fighting a hell of a battle going against Clemson. But they've had him on campus. They've built a bond there. There's a good investment of time already with the kid. And the kid has shown that he'll invest time by coming your way. But they've also already taken other linebackers like the Stephen Dixes and the Keyshawn Greens. Mm-hmm. So they're not solely relying upon Sampa being a part of the class. I think that's where the difference is seen for what they're trying to do for 2020 compared to what they did with 2019. That, to some degree, backfired on them. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at the – you guys spent a lot of time talking about the, the state of Florida, the state of Georgia with the 2019 class. Uh, five of those six guys are from Florida, and the one who's not is Isaiah Dunson from Tucker, Georgia, which is Atlanta metropolitan area. Uh, so, yeah, these these are guys that are from hotbeds for, for Florida State, and I think there's a baseline to do what you said you wanted to do when you originally came to Florida State. This is this is a big class for Willie. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I'll kick it to you, uh, but this is this is I mean this is a defining class I think for him, and I know that may sound dramatic early on into a tenure, but. 
I think he needs star power in this class to to kind of supplement the hitting the needs in the previous class. Yeah, star power, and the star power needs to come from the state of Florida. And Florida State currently has one commit in the top 25 in the state. Uh, the Canes have four commitments in the top 25, and the Gators have four commitments in the top 25. So I think right there that illustrates and that shows you what FSU was doing in January compared to what the other in-state programs were doing in the month of January, which was recruiting 2020. Um, I'm not saying FSU's going to stay behind. I, I think that they created some great momentum with their junior day. Um, I loved what they've done with the linebacker group. I think this, these guys are what you think of when you think of prototypical FSU linebackers. They're physical. They have ideal size. They're long. They're athletic. Um, and they're still in position for, for more great in-state linebackers. Giant McCluster's one of them. Um, I think that the Chris couldn't have said it better about Jeff Sims and his ability to recruit. I think Jeff Sims is probably pound for pound going to do more effective recruiting than maybe half the coaching staff will, and that's not a slight against them. That's just how good Jeff has been on the recruiting trail. Um, kids like him. He's got the energy. He's bringing the juice. Uh could be a blessing in disguise and something that really gets this class to where it needs to be. But right now, they're, they're, they're behind a little bit, and there's some work to do. To add to this discussion, there's five out-of-state guys they've really you know keyed on early. Chris Tyree in Virginia. He's from Thomas Dale, same high school that FSU got Darvin Taylor out of. Mm-hmm. He's been to campus at least, I believe, twice. He's very close to Darvin, very close to Odell. They've invested a lot of time there, but the kids invested time in them too. McKinley Jackson, the man, mountain man from Mississippi. FSU's gone to see him. He's come back on campus at least three, four, maybe five times. He's a guy that, again, has a great relationship with Odell. Antoine Sampa, linebacker from Woodbridge, Virginia. Been to campus. FSU Clemson battle right now. Really likes Odell and the staff. The staff actually all went up there and saw him during the January time. So there's a back and forth. Kendall Milton's probably the most far-fetched one. He's a Cali kid, running back, but he's been to campus before, really liked FSU. He does like Pimp a lot. Pimp likes him a lot. So there's a mutual there. And Savelle Smalls from Washington, kid that FSU was on very early. He came to Saturday Night Live. He intends to come back. Close to Treshawn Harrison. Staff's invested a lot of time in him. He just put out top 12 FSUs among that. I think FSU has lasting power with him. So that's five guys, national guys. But, you know, I'd say... Two of them are from heavy FSU recruiting areas and Tyree and Sampa being in the Virginia area, mm-hmm. not technically DMV, but still in that general area that FSU will recruit. And then the other three are guys that FSU is willing to kind of invest the time in. But when you go away from them and you're looking at basically FSU's top it has a relationship 20 to 30 targets. too, right? That's worth noting. Yes. Smalls and someone that you said, yeah. those are built in relationships even if they're out of state. Um, when you go away from them and look at FSU's top 20 to 30 targets in the 2020 class right now, a vast majority of them are Florida kids with a lot of Georgia sprinkled in and not a whole lot of national-type mm-hmm. kids. And that's kind of what they had in mind when they first came to Florida State. And, and then, I think they got away from it. I think there bit. was some frustration on the staff, and the frustration probably came from coming up short in the 2019 class because of how everything encompassing in that period went for them, mm-hmm. that they did invest so much time nationally with so many kids that it wasn't fruitful with, that there has become this hyper-focus on bringing it back to Places you can easily drive to and the kid can drive to you drive mm-hmm. to you for the most part. And if you're going to invest the time in a flight, it better be with a kid that's willing to invest the time to come to your campus. Nothing wrong with that. It's all really logical and makes sense. And I don't yeah. think you know, I don't think anyone has a has any kind of 
going out of state is fine. I don't, no one has a problem with that. And that was initially what was kind of sold to us is if you want to go out of state to get the elite of the elite, cool. But you got to be appealing to the elite of the elite. And FSU lost that with the way their season went. And then you also have to, okay, if a kid, like Kayvon Thibodeau, sure. Like that made sense. We understood the, the time and investment. He was someone who kept coming back to them too. And like they were that. truly in it till the very end. Correct. That, that made sense. Um, but you know, going after Derek Hall when you could be going after Aubrey Huff or someone like that, when you're starting splitting hairs there about who's better, that's I think when you can start questioning some of the some of the time investment there uh, again it's easier in hindsight yeah and i think the biggest thing is when you when you are struggling when the when the sales pitch is more difficult to make make sure you got good plan b's and make sure those plan b's are in good order yeah don't don't fall to plan b when plan a goes away and you're late to plan b because mm-hmm. plan b has a plan a and you got to convince them that you're that you're your plan a. That you're, exactly and I, I think fsu had some shortcomings with regards to that and again i think that's because of the expectation of what they went to the season believing they could be and mm-hmm. what they actually ended up being and one last point for me i'll shut the hell up is josh talked about how important 2020 is it is, and I agree wholeheartedly for multiple reasons. One, they need some instant impact power in that class, more so than we saw in this past class. Two, if you have a really good recruiting class and your season doesn't go as well as you hope or as well as the fan base desires, but say you have a top five class, it buys you a bargaining chip, and it's a big one. We saw that with Because Leonard you Hamilton. go away and that class goes away. We saw that with basketball. Yeah. With, with Ham, and he was on the hot seat, and that was the year he brought in. Um, was that Isaac or was that the – no, that was the Dwayne – the Dwayne Bacon and Beasley, uh, Beasley class. Yeah. Uh, that makes a difference. Yeah, and third thing with all of that is that this class to me is the full mid-transition point of the roster going from what he walked into to what it will be for him. Mm-hmm. Is what 2020 will be. It will be, you know, 18 where they did what they could do with what they were handed, and they did a good job with it. 19 where they got guys that they believe are culture changers with some – Real good stuff at top and other guys that we're going to have to take a wait and see attitude with, see how they develop and what they can do for this program. And then 2020 is if you can put together that class that finally maximizes what you're believed to be as a recruiter and as a head coach, you combine those three, it's an excellent baseline for what the future of your program can be under your guidance if you buy yourself that time. Uh, let's use that to transition to the final topic before we before we wrap up here, and that's the chase has started. And you wouldn't... You wouldn't know it uh, based on the the lack of buzz on social media. It's been very different than it was this time a year ago, I believe, uh, when we were seeing different videos and stuff every day. Uh, a lot of pictures, and it's been very quiet. There's been some circulating, but it's been very much so in-house. Well, they've done no video. Last year, they did video, I believe, every single day, and then they hyper-focused on coaches with video. That's right. If I remember correctly, Karina from Seminoles.com, she doesn't work there anymore, but she did most of that last year. Mm-hmm. From what I was told yesterday, they've done no video from the chase so far this year. Like, it's not been something they've asked them to do. Is they that, did some photos, I believe. I, it's it's notable, it, notable to me that it's different. Uh Josh, what are your thoughts on that? I'm trying to. I'm going to point to you, but I don't know if I have the video on, so I can't give you the. Cue. I I think in times like these, when FSU needs the momentum, um, I, I can't understand of all the things that they're going to do away with. Why would they would do away with the videos right now? As an FSU fan speaking, you know, forget I'm a reporter and all that, but as an FSU alum and a fan, I need David Kelly pumped into my veins that when he was on the field coaching and saying what it feels like to be a seminal man i got chills and and i wanted to run through the wall and i think that how are you going to create momentum on the recruiting trail coming off of the season that you did coming off the recruiting class that you did having the bad news just seemingly trickle out day by day um turn that around by 
by focusing on what matters, which is what goes on on the football field, uh, putting in the work. And I don't mean you know the, the selfie videos, but these were well-produced, uh, behind-the-scenes footage that not only gave people an idea of what was going on, but it also gave you an idea of who these people were and the excitement that they have for this university. Like seeing Coach Fry out there being an FSU alum uh, in the garnet and gold was a symbol to, to fans and to recruits. And I just can't understand why. Um, I did speak to somebody uh, that we all know pretty well that's plugged into the to the social media scene, uh, Tarif Knockout. He seems to have some clue of what's going on. And he, he, he told me they're spread too thin. They have X amount of staff, and right now they're focusing on basketball. And, and the people that put these videos together either aren't there or are, are working with the basketball team right now, and they're trying to cross over and do both. But it seems like it's just not enough manpower. But for me, I, I would be making those a priority. I thought those videos were awesome. I think some of the whys also is anything they do right now is criticized. I agree. And it, it's overly criticized. Even if it should be or it shouldn't be, it is. Mm-hmm. And that happens by us. That happens by the general fan. That happens by anybody and everybody associated with this program. Everything's kind of hyper-analyzed at this point by FSU. Which makes sense. Fans yeah. and media. And it, it's foolish. Oh. I'm with Josh. I think the videos were, one, very well done. Two, showed the guys putting forward a hell of a lot of effort early in the morning to try to be better football players and a better program and a better team with the coaches shown in their natural habitat of being coaches. Mm-hmm. I think that's all a good thing for the program. There's always going to be people who are going to complain about right. it no matter what. But the minute one of those videos is done and some guy hurdles over something and does a little shimmy and there's music in the background, somebody's going to lose their ever-loving mind over the stupidest little thing ever and think FSU went 5-7 and because they were dancing. Mm-hmm. They didn't go 5-7 and because they were dancing. People, they went 5-7 and because they weren't very good at football. So it's sort of that balancing act for them. And I, I get it. And they, as a staff, as a social media staff for Florida State, from productions to media to all that, FSU needs to fully invest and take a big leap and catch up because they are getting lapped by the Clemsons and the Georgias and the Alabamas and even the Floridas of the world that they compete with directly. And it's not a good thing. And it, I know it's somewhere where there was an effort made 12 so months ago when Willie's arrival happened to try to do that better. But here we are a year in and they've not, there's been improvements, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been enough improvement. And there, there are people that work in that type of career who know a hell of a lot more about it than I ever will. I'm not a guy who can sit down with Photoshop or a guy who can produce videos. I'm not that, but there are people that do that for a living that believe FSU, FSU can do a better job. And there's people that do that at FSU that play around and test things because they have a personal interest in it mm-hmm. and they create really good stuff and it never sees the light of day. Mm-hmm. So it's something that simply needs to be done at a higher quality level by the university. In, in terms of, and I think we're, we're working, uh, our interns working, Zach is doing something cool on that right now that I'm excited to see what happens. Basically look on, I don't want to get too much into it, but he's taking a look at how other programs go ahead and do social media stuff because it is in video and, and all those extra, it's all fairly new to recruiting, but it's becoming a huge part of it so uh so that'll be something to watch but in terms of just the chase that started on monday early feedback that we got was and this is going to be this is to chris's point that there's gonna be some people who are just gonna be pissed off no matter what if you say anything that's positive i mean man if you say anything that's negative they're gonna be mad because they have their own preconceived built-in you know notions on, on how things are right now with the program uh 
but the feedback that we got was, you know, FS, you know, that, that guys are, there's leadership and that there's carryover from last year. Guys actually know what the expectation is. And we heard a lot of great things last year and saw the end result wasn't great. So I understand a healthy amount of skepticism there. Uh, I think the one thing that's going to be really interesting this offseason and one one narrative, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, that I'm willing to listen to uh, and see if it, if it does end up ringing true is guys who are no longer on the roster, whether there's an addition by subtraction type of type of deal. Um, and DeAndre Francois is someone that we've talked about. Uh, ad nauseum here, uh, but 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 someone who would fit in that category, who who had talent, uh, but but was, in my opinion, and I, and I think internally that was ultimately detrimental to what FSU wanted to to accomplish and get to. Uh, there's other guys who fit into that category that are that are gone. Most of that has has turned over. So when Chris a few minutes ago was talking about this 2020 class being kind of the middle ground of where FSU wants culturally, they'll have two classes in, you know, at least or at least one and a half class in right now uh, at the chase that will be kind of helping usher in something new in the vision of, of what the staff wants. Now, whether that, that pays off or not remains to be seen, uh, but that's something I think is kind of interesting to to pay attention to. Like, does James Blackman, does he become the guy uh, for the entire team? I think he should. I think he has the ability to do that, um, but those are going to be kind of the storylines I think we're going to follow along and, and see what, what develops as we get more information from the chase. But right now, it seems like it's on super lockdown. And I, I don't think that's just us as a media outlet. I think that's going to be everyone covering the team. Information's going to be tough to come by. Uh, it seems like they want to keep everything very much so in-house right now. It's not a bad strategy at this point. It's not a bad strategy, like Chris said. I mean, they're in a, they're in a, they're in a lose-lose situation until they start winning some games on the football field. It's going to be really tough uh, for them to come out on top optically until they can really win some football games. Yeah, and that's us included too. Like I think we take a, as as writers and and people who cover the team, reporters, like we take a hyper focused look at it. That's what our job is. Um, but I think we all have a certain level of of wait and see approach. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to dismiss if I hear something that that is good and, and that makes sense and that's logical. I'm not going to not write about it uh, because it exists. Like FSU is allowed to get better under this staff. I think some people think that they've written it off already. I think that's unfair. I, I think being balanced and understanding that that there isn't a lot to be really happy about that what you've seen both on the recruiting trail this past cycle and on the field. Like you could be skeptical. That's cool. Uh, but understand there is a path back. Uh, you just have to – there's just not a whole lot of margin for error right now too. Moving on from DeAndre Francois and wondering why other guys leaving the program that needed to get out of here. It, it was slow to happen, but it did happen. And that yeah. is a positive for FSU despite the fact that, you know, departure like Francois leaves the quarterback room in a quarrel. You know – it is what it is. There's a positive to it, and there's obviously areas where they need to improve, and they're trying to improve. And you know, I think the most important thing for FSU between now and August is making sure their quarterback rooms in a situation where if there is something that happens to Blackman, they're not, you know, completely hands tied. They're not going to the wildcat the every, Yeah, and you know, keep keep hitting that transfer portal. If you find a guy that can help you, who's an instantaneous band-aid, who can make you better at a position next year, say Parker Braun at center, mm-hmm. be all in on that. Yeah. And I think they're, and I think they're willing to based on the, the intel we have. Is yeah. that they they like the transfer that. portal. Yeah. They haven't used it to the degree of a Miami, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think you can go overboard with it, but I think it can be a valuable asset. 
And for them, they need it to be an asset at certain positions where they need to turn the corner pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's not about long-term help. It's about sort of a Band-Aid while you recruit long-term help. Yeah. So, all right, I think that's everything right now. We yeah. went longer than we wanted to, but yeah, typical. Uh, real quick, guys, I want to thank all of our listeners. It's been about two years, I think, since we started this thing. And it's pretty cool to go back and look at the quality's not a ton better, but it is better uh, in terms of, of audio equipment. Um, and the, obviously, the voices have changed. R.I.P. Bob. Uh, but to go from when we started... He didn't die. Didn't <laughs> oh, I should clarify. <laughs> I should clarify that Bob is alive as well. Um, R.I.P. Bob. <laughs> but we went from a place where we were having about 1,500 listeners per episode to now it's easily, it's always 6,000. And that's a testament to you guys for, for listening, subscribing to to giving us feedback to make this better. And it's not always you know, easy to hear feedback about yourself, but uh, appreciate it because I think it's helped us produce a better product. So it's been almost two years. Thanks guys for, for listening, subscribing and um, make sure to keep doing that. It helps the the growth of the actual podcast. We want to keep growing this thing into to something that's fun. And I know there's a lot of other good podcasts out there with FSU or just a lot of other podcasts. Everyone's going to have their, uh, their opinions on what to listen to. I appreciate people taking the time to listen to this once a week. So we'll probably do this about once a week for the rest of the off season. I'm going to try to do it consistently. I think Wednesday is a day that works for all of us. We may give Josh next week off and do a little something on hoops is my desire. Uh, let, let's put it this way. If I can get – I'll start a thread. If I can get 20 upvotes for a hoops-specific podcast, we will do it. Are you – I'm not using I'm that because there may be kids in the car. Are you pandering for upvotes? After yes. getting 100 I was downvotes say, for DeAndre Francois. Are you something out of yourself to get upvotes? <laughs> yes. But I, I wanted to keep it um, PG. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Now I don't have to edit it. You're but, welcome. But, yeah, we, we, we'll focus on basketball because it's going to be a slower time of year for football until spring starts. It could very easily be winners of seven. We're not talking about we're not talking about basketball right now. Well, <laughs> With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Snow and Chris Snead, Josh Newberg. Thanks for joining me, guys. Remember to subscribe. Five-star reviews on iTunes. Stick in the landing.